You are so good. No matter if we don't deserve it, you are good. You send the sun to warm the hearts of the righteous and the unrighteous. You send your rain to refresh the spirits and the minds of the good and the not so good. You're a good God who loves to give good gifts to his children. And we're coming this morning needing those gifts, depending on those gifts, and expecting those gifts because it's just who you are, because it's just what you've promised, because you've promised to sustain us, to provide for us, to carry us on eagles' wings. So today we open our hearts and our arms our minds, our spirits, our bodies to receive your goodness. And we ask you to fill us in a new and a fresh way with all that you are and all that you want and all that you'd like to do through us to bring hope and healing to a broken planet. We ask this in the name of Jesus. And on Pentecost Sunday, we most certainly pray and do everything else in the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's children said, Amen. You are good. You are good. You are good. Welcome to Bethany. We're so glad that you're Thank you to the worship team for stirring worship. We thank you for Pastor Brandon for uh, a powerful praise and encouragement to God's people. I'm excited to talk to you today on Pentecost Sunday uh, from uh, the end of the Gospel of Luke and the beginning of the Gospel of Luke Part 2, the book of Acts. The last seven weeks now. We've been reading Luke 24, how Jesus, on a dark and a dismal day with no hope, showed up on a Sunday morning when he was least expected because he had been crucified on a Roman instrument of torture and humiliation, the cross, the Roman cross. He had been buried the next day and on Sunday morning, a few committed women came to anoint his body, to prepare his body for the time in that tomb. And there was only one problem, they couldn't locate the body. And the first announcement of the resurrection of Jesus came from messengers of God, angels who came to say, he is not here, he is risen. As he told you he would be in the next the first human witnesses to the resurrection were those women who went back and told the 12 followers of Jesus, now 11 in Judas's absence. This is what the angels told us. His body is not there, he is alive. And they wrote the women off. Because in that era, the 
word of a woman wasn't worth a whole lot. Some things have changed because of the coming of Jesus and the Holy Spirit to our world. And we praise God for those changes and we long for even more. Then these two unknown followers of Jesus, Cleopas and one other. We don't know if it was a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, two men, two women. Well, it can't be two women because of Cleopas, but we, we don't know the identity of these two people. And, and yet, as they walked a long way away from Jerusalem, having given up hope, having really kind of walked away from the mission, Jesus himself shows up and walks alongside them. We pick up the story because they realize it's Jesus. They return to Jerusalem. They return to community. They return to the rest of the apostles and the followers of Jesus who are gathered in the upper room, and they share their news, and the apostles share their news. He is alive, and he's appeared to Simon Peter. And then again, Jesus shows up at the most unexpected time and in the most unexpected place. He shows up in the upper room in Jerusalem, which three days earlier had been the location, Jerusalem, of his crucifixion. Their minds are boggled. And more specifically, their minds are open as we pick up the story of Luke chapter 24. Because we read that Jesus opened their minds. He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. I need that. I pray for that on a regular basis when I'm studying God's word. God, would you open my mind so I can understand the scriptures. Speak to me through your word. Oh, how I love your instruction, your Torah. It is my meditation both day and night. And he said, now this is what is written. The Messiah, the anointed one, the one on whom God had poured out his Holy Spirit, the Messiah, the Christ, will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. That had been written. We should have expected that. We should have seen that coming. And following his death and his resurrection, repentance, a turning around from the, the path that's not giving life back to God and coming back to God so your sins could be forgiven. That wonderful news will be preached in the name of the anointed one. And if you would, if you're in your notes, if you can download those from uh, our website as you're watching along uh, uh, and kind of mark it in your mind, if you're reading your Bible, you can underline it. Preached in his name, it's all about Jesus. To all nations. To all nations, there's a theme here that uh, is going to continue throughout the day of Pentecost, that, that this good news is not just for us, and it's not just for people like us. It's for everybody. It's for all nations. And it's going to start at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. You've seen what has taken place. You've heard what was going on. Your hands have even identified it's really Jesus. Jesus himself appeared to them. And then he says this, which is really the focus of the, of the message today in preparation for Pentecost Sunday. He said, I am going to send you what my Father has promised. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city 
until you have been clothed with power from on high. Power from outside yourself. Power that you cannot generate. Power that you may not even expect. You're going to share about these things. But wait in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And then we fast forward from the very end of part one of Luke to to the opening of part two of Luke, which we call the book of Acts. The book of Luke is the story of how God worked through Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the story of the book of Acts is how God worked through Jesus and through the followers of Jesus like you and like I, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Acts chapter 1 begins like this. In my former book I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit. Pause for half a second, if we would, on Pentecost Sunday. The teaching of Jesus, according to the Gospel of Luke and Acts, the teaching of Jesus, he gave instructions through the Holy Spirit. Jesus relied on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He said, I cast out demons by the Spirit of God. He said, you cannot blaspheme the Holy Spirit of the living God, the the life and the presence of God himself, the very breath of God, the dove that brooded in a creative way over the chaos of the unformed world. Jesus relied on that spirit. In fact, the book of Hebrews tells us even that it was through the blood of the eternal spirit, through the eternal spirit that Jesus offered his blood unblemished to God. Jesus relied on the Holy Spirit, even on the cross. The New Testament tells us that the Holy Spirit was actively engaged and involved in raising Jesus from the dead. All that transpired through the ministry of Jesus took place because in his lungs was the life and breath of God himself. And after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared over, to them over a period of 40 days, 40 days from the time of Easter. Now we're, we're 10 days past that, 50 days from Easter. Uh, and he spoke about the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the reign of God, and how God was going to begin to transform people from the inside out through the Spirit of God. When you see the kingdom of God, you should think of the Spirit of God, as we're seeing in our text this morning. On one occasion, it says, while he was eating with them, I pause again. Isn't it interesting how often in Luke 24 and now in Acts 1, we read about Jesus eating with them. It's so interesting that Jesus doesn't show up in temple He doesn't just show up in church, so to speak. He shows up with his people, and he shows up in everyday life. And he wants to show up in your everyday life, even right now when a lot of us aren't able to come to the physical church location. He's right there. And I pray this right now for you, where you are, that Jesus himself would show up, that you would feel in your senses, even in a tangible way, even though we can't see him, that we would know, you would know, that he's there, that he's listening, that he's walking with you, 
that he wants to do life with you. He wants to be your companion, your Lord, yes, but your friend also. One occasion when he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem. There it is again. Stay in the city, he said in Luke 24, beginning of, of uh, Acts uh, chapter 1. Don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift my father promised. And you've heard me speak about this as well. For John plunged you into water. He baptized you with water. But in a few days, you will be plunged into the Holy Spirit of the living God. So when they met together, having heard his teaching now for many days, 40 days since Easter, they asked him what for them was the obvious question. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus is teaching them about the kingdom of God and for the Jewish ears of that time and place. They were waiting for God to return and to turn everything around, to make thing, things right. And Jew, Jews in Israel at that time were an occupied nation with the external power of the Roman Empire uh, that had them under their thumb and under their boot. And they just wanted liberation. They wanted freedom. And so the expectation is that when Jesus, God's anointed king, begins talking about the kingdom of God in chapter 1, verse 3, that the kingdom physically, externally, obviously is going to show up immediately. Are you at this time? Is, is it now? They thought it was going to come, and then Jesus was crucified uh, on a, a Roman cross, and they were shocked and horrified and confused. And now God has raised Jesus from the dead. He's alive. He's teaching them. He's fellowshipping with them. He's walking with them. So now we were confused before, but now are you going to re restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, uh, stop talking about the events of the future about which you don't know anything. It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Jesus said it's not important to kind of speculate about the future and what we'll do then. We're here, and God is with you now. And God wants you to do something now in our world to live out the life of the Spirit, to live out the kingdom of God. Don't speculate. It's amazing to me how many times throughout my lifetime I've heard people speculate about the, the time of the, the Father and the kingdom, or the dates that he will come. When I first became pastor, I got a book addressed to the previous pastor, which I assumed I could enjoy, and the title was 88 Reasons Why the Lord Will Return, Jesus Will Return in 1988. Well, we're here in 2020, so some time has gone by, which is why the next year the same gentleman sent me a book, 89 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1989. Well, almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus had said, it's not for you to know the time or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but that's the bad news, if you will. Here's the really, really good news. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit, that dove that brooded over creation and nothingness and brought something of beauty 
and life into existence. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. You're gonna, you've seen something and you're going to say something in three places. First of all, in Jerusalem. Secondly, in all Judea, the surrounding kind of nation. Third, to Samaria, across cultural and ethnic boundaries. And finally, to the ends of the earth. Or as they said in Luke chapter, one, uh, chapter 24, for the nations. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And they had to be mortified. They had to be grieved. They had to be sort of shocked and amazed at the, in the same way, but different, as seeing Jesus go to the cross and be executed like a common criminal. Different because he's not dying. Similar because, again, Jesus, to their eyes, is gone. The apostles returned then to Jerusalem from the hill that's called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Who was there? It's interesting when Jesus shows up, as has happened in Luke 24 and happens in other places out in the New Testament, we're given details about exactly who was present. And scholars believe that the Gospels of Jesus, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke, were probably written within 20 to 30 years of the events that took place. So that there were people around who could go to Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, and say, is this really what happened 2000, in, uh, two, in 20 years ago? You say, that's a long time. Does anybody here remember what happened in these United States about 20 years ago, 2001? We remember it very, very clearly. And the people that are identified are people who saw what took place and they knew Jesus had died and they'd seen where he was buried and they had been encountered in a new and a fresh way by Jesus himself. Who's there? Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas, the other one, Judas, the son of James. And what did they do? Well, Jesus had told them, there's a gift coming. Wait. Stay in the city. Wait until you've been clothed with power from on high. What did they do? And what should we do as we long to see God's spirit poured out in our hearts, on our church, into our community, into our region, our state, our nation, our world. What should we do? Well, here's what they did. They all, and we almost have to kind of pause phrase by phrase to read this. They all, they all joined together constantly in prayer. Who? All of them. The 11, now the 12 minus Judas who had committed suicide and shame or horror over what he had done, even though Jesus would have forgiven him. You remember in the upper room, 
before the crucifixion, before the trial, before Judas betrayed him, in the upper room, Jesus said to Judas and the rest of the team, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood which is poured out for you. And that was before Judas left the room. So they all joined together constantly in prayer. Pray without ceasing. Don't stop coming into God's presence with an attitude of prayer and petition. They all joined together constantly in prayer, but not just the 11. Luke is always conscious of the tremendously valuable and precious impact of women in the body of Christ, in the family of God. And so he says, along with the women. The Gospel of Luke started with two faithful women, maybe three. Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Anna, the woman who lived constantly in the temple, worshiping and praying. And now mirrored in Acts chapter one is the same thing that happened at the beginning of Luke chapter one. The women joined together constantly in prayer. And also Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. The family of God is beginning to gather. Not just the 11, but a host of people. In fact, from what we can tell from Acts chapter two, looking backward, there's a group numbering about 120 people. Their family had increased tenfold over what it had been before the cross. And they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. What should you and I do? 50 days after celebrating Easter Sunday, we should all join together constantly in prayer, all of us. Now, it's hard to do that because we're not together, all of us, in one place. But as Pastor Brandon encourages us every week, even when we cannot be physically close, we can be emotionally and relationally close, spiritually close. We can pray for each other. Again, this morning over breakfast, I celebrated hearing both the cries of the hearts of God's people, listening to the Family Focus team gathered together after a stirring message from, from Bruce Peterson, but also hearing the, the body of Christ gathering together to pray, to lift one another up, to celebrate answers to prayer, to grieve together over deep and dark and disturbing concerns that are heavy on people's hearts. We wanna be together constantly in prayer during the days that begin with Pentecost Sunday. And then when the day of Pentecost came, Acts 2 begins, oddly enough, they were all together in one place. Well, that's what we just read, right in Acts 1, 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer. When the day of Pentecost came, that's 10 days later, if you do the math. They're all together in one place. What do you think they're doing? They're joining together constantly in prayer. Lord, send your spirit. Father, send your spirit. Jesus, send the, the breath of the Father. Holy Spirit, come. And suddenly, their prayers begin to be answered. 
And this, this prayer has never been stopped being answered now since this day. Suddenly a, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. We think of the Holy Spirit, we may kind of think of something very quiet and calm. This is like a tornado. A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. It did not originate in that upper room. It came from heaven. Stay in the city, Luke 24, until you have been clothed with power from on high. And here comes the sound of a blowing of a violent wind that came from heaven and filled the whole house. Can I pause and pray again? I'm not going to stop what I'm doing, but we'll just pray as we go. God, would you fill the whole house of God, the whole family of God, the whole body of Christ right now, even though we're physically separated, right now would you fill the whole house of the family of God throughout the world and in our nation and in our community and for Bethany, would you fill the whole house? And God, would you fill the whole house of the people who are watching this and participating and joining with us in fellowship in their house? Would you fill their whole house in the name of Jesus with the wind of God, the, the breath of God, the Holy Spirit of the living God? Fill the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be kind of tongues of fire, flickers of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. Let's clarify this. Did it come and rest just on uh, the senior pastor? No. Did it just come and rest on people who were been to seminary? No. Did it just come and rest on people who have the, the title pastor for their occupation and calling? No, it came to rest on each of them. The 11 that we've read named, along with the women, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and along with the, the brothers of Jesus. The wind came. The fire of the Holy Spirit came. And then came to rest on each of them and all of them. The inclusivity here, they were all together in one place. The wind came and filled the whole house. The fire separated, came to rest on each of them, and then all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit enabled them. You will be my witnesses, but wait until you have been clothed with power from on high. The Spirit had enabled them. They began to speak in other tongues. Now, what does this mean to speak in other tongues? Well, Luke goes on to explain exactly what that involved. Because, verse 5 says, Now they were staying in Jerusalem, where they were told to wait. They were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews. They weren't followers of Jesus. They were Jews. They were followers of Yahweh. But they were God-fearing Jews. They were wanting to hear more about what God was up to. And they were God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven because this was the, the feast of Shavuot and the feast of harvest. And people would flood Jerusalem annually forever this celebration would take place. 
It was a national tradition. Jerusalem would swell from like 100,000 people to sometimes upwards of a million people, estimates are, scholars estimate. God-fearing Jews, not Christ followers, but God-fearing Jews. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you don't fear and trust and revere the Most High God, then you may be very intelligent, but you're not very wise. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together. They gathered in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. That's the gift of being able to speak in other tongues, in other languages. Each one heard their own language, and they're from every nation under heaven. And each one heard their own language being spoken. And how did they respond? Verse 7, they were utterly amazed. They were smocked. They were shocked. They were confused. They were dazzled. They said, aren't all these, the people who are speaking, they're, they're, they're northerners. They're not local to Jerusalem. They're from Galilee. People from Galilee at that time uh, had, uh, whether it was deserved or not, uh, a reputation for being a few tacos short of a combination plate, if you will, or having a few too many sparrows on their antenna. You see this throughout the Gospels, that kind of the upper crust, the elites of that time kind of looked down on people from Galilee. And they said, um, these are Galileans and they're speaking my language with enormous fluency. How is it, verse 8, that each of us hears them in our own native language? I mean, there's people here from the Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, there are residents of Mesopotamia and Pamphylia from Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, from the northern part of Africa. There are visitors from Europe, from uh, Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. There are Cretans from the Isle of Crete. There are Arabs and if we would map this out, we don't have time today to map this out, you'll see this is from uh, all the regions kind of uh, around Israel, but not necessarily even close to Israel. And we hear them declaring the wonders of God. What's the message? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. You and I are called to be witnesses of what God has done, of what Jesus has done, of what the Holy Spirit is doing through Jesus. We're called to, in our lives, declare the wonders of God. What are the things that God has done for you or in you or through you about which you look and go, wasn't me. Only God could have pulled that off. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in their own tongues. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you want to talk about how great God is. And the people, again, the recipients, the listeners, if you will, first they were utterly amazed, they were bewildered, and now they're amazed and perplexed. <laughs> Just They're baffled, they're dazed and confused, we might say, right? 
and they asked one another, what does this mean? What's this about? Let's draw some principles here. You've seen some kind of numbers inserted into the text at some themes, starting back in Luke 24. I'm going to send you, number one, what the Father has promised. Number two, but stay in that city, stay in Jerusalem. Number three, till you've been clothed with power from on high. Because number four in Luke 24, 47, repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in the name of Jesus to all nations starting in Jerusalem. What are these four principles that we draw out? What happened on the day of Pentecost? Well, we're only going to talk about the first uh, really primarily four verses and then the response of the people from every nation on earth uh, and then verses 5 through 12. What took place? What had been promised? Number one, Jesus will send the gift that the Father promised us. That's what he told them three or four times in the passages we've read before it actually takes place. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised in the notes, not on the screen. He said, wait for the gift that my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. When had Jesus spoken about it? When had the Father promised it? He'd been promising it for a long time. From Numbers 11, when Moses cried out, oh, that all the people of God could speak the words of God, could be prophets. In Isaiah 61, where Jesus claimed for his identity something he then passed on to us, the spirit of the sovereign Lord rests on me because he has anointed me. He has christened me. That's why I'm the Christ, the, the christened one, the anointed one, the anointed king of the living God. Anointed with what? With the Holy Spirit. So that I can speak good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind. Isaiah 61, and then Jesus in the Gospel of John had breathed on his followers in the upper room and said, receive the Holy Spirit. In the same way that the Father sent me, now I am sending you. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Number one, Jesus will send the gift the Father promised us. Why is that? You've got a little bullet at the bottom of this. Fill in a couple blanks there. Because our Father, our Father loves to give good gifts to his children. I'm a, I'm a father. I, I'm a grandfather now. It's fun to give good gifts to your children, to your grandchildren. I think sometimes when we give gifts, we enjoy it more than the person that, that's receiving it. It feels good to give. God didn't create us to be just takers. He created us to be givers. And he models what that looks like. The, God loves the world so much that he gave his one and only son that anyone who comes to trust in Jesus for their life doesn't need to die on their sins. They can enjoy the undying life of God himself. God is a giver. Jesus is a giver. He told his disciples when he was still physically present with them, freely you have received, so freely I want you to give. Giving is living, Jesus taught us. Our Father loves to give good gifts to his children. We see that in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. You can look that up later if you'd like. We see that in Acts 2, verse 33 where Peter is summing up what took place and this gift that God has given. 
What is the day of Pentecost? It's the day when Jesus sends the gift that the Father has promised. Number two, what is the day of Pentecost? Number two, we have to wait for it in Jerusalem. We have to wait for this gift in Jerusalem. What's significant about that? Luke 24, 47 said, you're my witnesses and you will preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins in my name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Why at Jerusalem? Luke 24, 49, stay in the city. Stay in Jerusalem till you've been clothed with power from on high. Acts 1, 4, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift the Father has promised. Acts 1, 8, you will be my witnesses starting in Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? Why Jerusalem? Because Jerusalem was particularly open to Jesus. Do you remember what took place, what happened to Jesus 50 days before the day of Pentecost? Easter Sunday, before that Holy Saturday when Jesus was buried and in the tomb, before that Good Friday when Jesus was executed on the outskirts of Jerusalem. Why does he tell them to go back to Jerusalem? Because sometimes the most unlikely place is the place that needs the life of Jesus the most. And he sends them back to the place that terrorized them. He sends them back, if you think about it, to the place where the two people on the road to Emmaus were really fleeing from. Let's get out of that town. That town is so wicked that they crucified Jesus. No, ministry starts. Here's the bullet for number two. Here's the principle we draw from this. Ministry starts where God has planted us. So easy in our lives to look around and the phrase is that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. And sometimes in our lives that, that's true. We look around and we can be jealous and envious of other places. But God has planted Bethany right here in the state of California, in the county of Los Angeles, in this East San Gabriel Valley, in the city of West Covina, on the border of Covina, Azusa, Baldwin Park. And he's planted you in the place where you reside. And he's planted you in the place where you work. And he's planted you in a place where your circle of friends and acquaintances hang out. And Jesus wants ministry to start from where you live. When I was young, I was influenced by listening to missionaries who had come from around the world and they would bring amazing stories and they'd bring amazing uh, props, if you will, from their country. I remember being amazed by watching the, the snakeskin being rolled off and rolled across the platform and the, kind of the altar at the beginning of the stage and the, and the spears that would be brought and the stories of God at work. And, and yet I found myself as I was growing up, when I was real little, I wanted to be a professional baseball player. I wanted to be a fireman. I wanted to be a missionary. And maybe over time, those stories of the massive snakes and the spears got my attention. And so as I became a young adult, I think I began praying, God, I'll do anything you want, but please don't send me as a missionary to a foreign land. I'm a homebody. I want to hang around here. I want to serve you, but I just don't want to go maybe a place that 
I might not want to go. Well, throughout my life, I've gone some places I haven't always wanted to go. But I've learned that God wants me to serve him and tell about the wonders of God in the place where God has planted me. And you right now are actually physically in the place, in, many, in most cases of who's watching, right? You are physically in the place that God has planted you. And God has given you a mission field if you're watching, watching this service with someone else. And, and if you're not, I, I pray you begin to do that. As we've heard that the churches can begin to open up, we're going to take our time for health reasons and to be con, uh, able to show love to the people around us to make sure that they're able to do that. But we'll probably start by kind of having church in small groups, church in homes, right? And God has planted you somewhere where he wants you to serve and he wants to fill you with his spirit so you can share the wonders of God with the people that you're gathered with. Ministry begins with the people around you. Parents with small children, ministry may begin with the kids who are running screaming through the room right now and not letting you watch and concentrate fully as you might elsewhere. But they're your ministry. That's your mission field. You might be watching with, with, with neighbors or friends. and Those are people that God calls upon the people of God to serve, to love, to pray for, to encourage. That's our ministry. To bring peace to a city that is burning, to a city that's filled with injustice. We're to bring justice as best that we can do to our city. I love the fact that Pastor Brandon and Nissa their third child was named Amari Love Justice Penn. Every one of us should love justice. In fact, the spirit of the living God is the spirit of justice. Several times in God's word, you can search for that combination and see that God's spirit is the spirit of justice. And oh God, we pray that the spirit of justice would fall on our nation Fall on all who've been grieved, all who've been wounded, all who've been hurt. Fall on all who have received injustice. Fall on those people who are trying to serve us, and all of them are not perfect, but so many of them are, and want to do what's right, and are offended, ashamed, and angry about those who do what is wrong. The spirit of justice needs to fall on our land. Ministry starts where God has planted us. Very quickly now, number three. The day of Pentecost means that we will be filled with the Holy Spirit and with power. We will be filled with the Holy Spirit and with fire, excuse me, and with power. Luke 24, 49, wait in the city till you've been clothed with power from on high. Acts 1, 4, in a few days you will be baptized, plunged into the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then what we just read in Acts 2, the wind filled the whole house. The fire came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them, declaring the wonders of God in language that other people can hear. We live in a world, a culture, a community where people can't, communicate. We're so divided as a nation, we can barely talk. In our outrage at what has taken place in Minneapolis, we almost don't know how to talk and we want to be sure that we affirm all the people in our wonderful country. We want to affirm those who don't feel like this country has 
given justice to them who have felt wrongly singled out because of their ethnic background. We want to ask for God to bless and to encourage everyone to bless those who are trying to engage in peacekeeping, to ensure that our justice system rightly punishes people who do wrong and violate and bring violence on innocent people. What's the principle? That we'll be filled with the Holy Spirit and power. The principle down at the bottom is that to be his witnesses, we will need his power. To point people to Jesus, we will need his power. It's so true. The final point I'm going to just share, but we're going to unpack it next week, just so you have it in your notes. For some of you are going to be bothered if I finish without giving that. I'm going to do that, and then we're going to close with a, a time of worship. This gift isn't just for us, number four. This gift isn't just for us. Again, this gift isn't just for us or people like us. It's for everybody. It's not just for the Bethany family. It's for our community. It's for the individuals who four times have broken into our church property over the last two weeks. It's gift is for the people who have uh, tried phishing schemes and tried to uh, abuse us and use us and violate us in ways that are wrong. And many of you have your own stories of this. But the gift isn't just for us, it's for everybody. To all the nations... The kingdom is not just coming to Israel, it's coming to the whole world. You'll be my witnesses, yes, in Jerusalem, but yes, in Judea, but also cross cultural boundaries in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, to everybody who longs to experience the life of God. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. The principle here is this, and we'll unpack this fourth point next week more that you and I are blessed by God and we celebrate that fact and we rejoice in that fact, but we are blessed to be a blessing. We're not just blessed because our Father loves us, although our Father loves us and loves to give gifts to his children, but we are not an only child, if you will. God has a lot more kids that he wants to welcome home into his arms that he wants to pour out his spirit on. On the day of Pentecost, let's pause and pray before we sing a song that, boy, if ever there was a song that fits our moment in time here, it's Lord, I need you. And if there's ever a song that fits the moment in time of Pentecost Sunday, it's Lord, I need you. Living God, right now, hear the cries of your people. Hear the cries of those who are angry, who feel violated, who feel marginalized, who feel mistreated, who feel the knee of injustice. Bring your peace, bring your wholeness, bring your justice, God. For those who are charged with keeping the peace, we pray that you strengthen them and give them wisdom and strength to not return evil for evil, but to be people of peace, to police their own and ensure that justice is done for all. 
It's what our country was based upon, of that ideal, which is far too often throughout our history not been our reality. Bring justice, bring peace, bring wholeness. God, right now throughout the time of restriction we've gone through because of the fear of the coronavirus, we pray bring healing from this virus. Our hearts are broken to hear that in the United States alone, a hundred thousand people have lost their lives to COVID-19. Our hearts break, our hearts grieve that so many people in our nation, our state, our, our county, our region, our community are struggling, are grieving. God, come with your Holy Spirit who is called the Comforter. Bring your comfort. God, many of us feel helpless, a little bit hopeless during this season. Many have lost jobs. Many are not able to go into the place of work and they feel frustrated and they feel like they don't know what they can do to make a difference. God, I pray you would pour out your spirit on each one of us so that we could serve where we have been planted, that we can look around us and say, who is it in my immediate circle of friends or my neighbors? Like, who can I reach out to? How can I serve them? What can I do? God's spirit will fill you and use you. And God, on the day of Pentecost, I think all of us cry out, Lord, we need you. We need more of your life. We want you to breathe your breath into our lungs so that once again, we can sense your life and get our eyes off ourselves and turn our eyes and our ears and our hearts to those around us and we can open our arms and we can be given creative ways God in a season of social distancing and six feet of separation and wearing masks and not shaking hands like we used to be able to do you'd give us creative ways to overcome that barrier that obstacle and allow our heart to go out to the people that we encounter God, would you pour out your spirit on your children in a new and a fresh way? And it's not a gift just given for us. It's given for everyone. May you help us to open the door so that everyone around us can experience the life of God, the love of the Father who, who created them, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ who died for them and rose and lives to intercede, and the companionship and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Do you need more of God? Would you right now join us as we ask him for just that? Living God, we need you. We're not just singing it because it's on the plan to sing today. We, we say we need you because we really, really need you. We're broken over what we see in our nation, over what we're seeing in our city. We're broken over watching injustice before our eyes take place among those who are called to keep the peace. We're broken when we see. The reaction is understandable, but the violence and the, the cycle of violence that Dr. King says, hate cannot drive out 
hate. Only love can drive out hate. And God, we have a nation where there's far too much hatred and far too little love. And in judgment, your word says that we're not called to point the finger. We're called to be witnesses of Jesus, the one who received the violence that we express as human beings and that we visit on other people. So we need your spirit and we need you to make us people of peace. If we truly walk with the spirit, we will be people of love, of joy, and of peace, of patience. It's hard to be patient during this time when we're so isolated. Kindness, goodness, make us people of gentleness, of faithfulness, and of self-control. If there's judgment, God's word says, let judgment begin with the house of God. May the people of God, the followers of Jesus, the carriers of the Holy Spirit, the beloved sons and daughters of the Most High God, may we fall on our knees before the living God and repent of our hardness of heart, of the anger that we carry, of the injustice that we inflict on people. Living God, pour out your spirit in a new and a fresh way. We need you. We love you. We are sorry we are so unworthy of your name. Set us on the right chorus. Starting today, Pentecost Sunday, may we begin to open our hearts in new and fresh ways to the word of God and the spirit of God and the love of God. We ask this in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen.